My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. Irishman in America from Irishman Abroad podcast with me, Jardeth Regan over here and Marion McKeown over there. Overnight, the big breaking news was that Joe Biden had approved sending 31 M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. Germany is sending 14 Leopard tanks. Marion, this marks a big step in U.S. involvement over there. Why is there not more of an outcry over this? Because now this is actually armored vehicles on the ground with U.S. approval. Yeah, you know what, Charlotte? Let me just give this a little bit of context and just say at the outset, it's not that big a deal. It's being trumped up as a really big deal because there was this standoff between Germany over the Leopard 2s and between America over the Abrams M1s. And the problem is that America, you know, and we've said this before, like it's almost like they're doing just enough to drip feed Zelensky to keep the war going, but they're not giving him enough to actually have any kind of a decisive victory or to have a reasonable chance of succeeding. And I just find it really frustrating. And even talking to the the military people who I speak to, most of whom are former military, and of course there's nothing there's nothing more opinionated than an armchair general, you know, but to put this in context for you. Uh, when the Saudis were going into Yemen and carrying out all kinds of human rights atrocities against the Houthis and the Houthi supporters, and these were all civilian atrocities, America sold the Saudis, I think it was 130 of these Abrams tanks. Back in 2016, Obama was president at the time. They sold them more afterwards with Trump. And so this thing that they were saying to Zelensky, oh, they're very complicated, they're very hard to use. They're very, you know, you need training. It's going to take a long time. They didn't give a damn about any of that when they shipped them all off to Saudi Arabia. They've sent them to other places as well. They've been used in Egypt. They were used in Egypt. The Americans gave the Egyptians over a thousand of them. They had an agreement to build them for the Egyptians. They weren't too concerned that the Egyptians wouldn't be able to figure them out. So I find this really disingenuous. These tanks cost about 10 million each to build. They're heavy hitters. They can move pretty quickly for an 80-ton tank, which is at about, I suppose, 45 miles an hour thereabouts. And they only take four people to control them. And they can withstand sort of a lot of hard stuff. They can withstand a lot of fire against them, not a direct hit. But, you know, a, a lot of, they can take a lot of heavy aggro, basically, from the other side, a lot of incoming. Um, America kept saying, well, if we do this, we'll be escalating. We'll be, we don't want to become involved in this war. I really think at this point, look, piss or get off the pot. And I don't mean that in a reckless way that, you know, you risk a direct confrontation with Russia. And I think that providing aircraft maybe in the way that, and a no-fly zone in the way that Zelensky wanted, 
I understand why they were reluctant about that. But I think that the Germans rightfully called the Americans bluff and they, and, you know, Olaf Schultz said, okay, we'll supply leopards, but where are your tanks? Where's your skin in this fight? And I think that Biden then, I was, there was a briefing today about it for journalists and they were putting a great big gloss on it all and how great it is and it shows America's commitment, et cetera. Now, Biden has done really well on a number of levels. He's done really well in keeping the alliance together. He's done really well. France is giving tanks as well. So is Britain. They're giving their Challenger 2s. There will be about another, I think, about 150 additional tanks on the ground in Ukraine, all told at some point. But these American tanks won't even arrive until next year. They won't even be in Ukraine right. until next year. So they're saying, next well, this year, is a 2024. Phase yeah, 2024. 2024, yeah, because they're saying, well, we don't want to take them from our army, so we have to wait for them to be built and then we'll give them to you and blah, blah, blah. So I think on the one hand, it's good that that part signals to Putin, we're in this for the long haul. You know, we will send more tanks next year and we're planning to send more tanks and we're planning to send our big guns. But as I say, at the same time, yes, they've given 24 billion in military equipment and in economic aid, which isn't that bloody much anyways. I've said before, they've got another 45 billion earmarked for this year, out of which these tanks will come, the cost of these tanks, which will be about, what, 40, about 140, 150 million dollars or thereabouts. And then they're providing an extra eight support vehicles to help tow them and whatever and provide the backup necessary. But as I say, all of this patronizing talk about, well, could the Ukrainians actually manage things when you see how skillfully and bravely they've fought so far, it actually kind of made my blood boil a bit, to be quite honest. Yeah. So now now they've done the deal. And as I say, about bloody time. So no bouquets. Well, <laughs> well, we've got an awful lot to get to in this show, including the classified document treasure hunt that continued ah, yes. this week with Mike, Mike Pence <laughs> misunderstanding the game. Uh, yes. I'm going to find out if Marion actually has any classified documents at her place. Maybe we all have classified documents. In it's, our houses. I think we do in the one problem, form or another. <laughs> yeah, the problem is that what we regard as classified is too broad. And it's happening again. Last week, Marion brilliantly explained the nonsense of the debt ceiling standoff. And this week, it looks even more likely that agreement over raising the $31.4 trillion allowable yes, debt will counting. result in a government shutdown. We, how much hardship will that produce? We'll talk about that. And of course, Three mass shootings within eight days, which makes 40 this year. We're not even out of January. We're going to have to talk about that and we'll do a big news roundup, including ah, Kevin McCarthy. What is he up to now? We'll do the Oscars roundup and we'll even talk about Ruben Gallego uh, of Arizona. I'm hoping Marion can tell me what's going on there. And is Carrie Lake about to enter the picture again? There's so much more to get to. We haven't even mentioned Donald Trump got his Facebook privileges back. Yes, indeed he did. Before we leave Russia, though, Marion, yeah. uh, I wonder if you could explain to me, after speaking to those defense representatives that you spoke to, and I have images of you talking to people still in uniform with gray crew cuts, they, do they say that the tactic here in Ukraine is a rope-a-dope attempt to sustain, drag this out to the point where Putin goes is exhausted and spent and just goes, you know what, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah. Like that seems to be like they're not trying to win this, as you say. They're trying to just exhaust him to the point where you can nudge him back over the border. 
I think that there's a lot in that. And I've thought from the beginning, because this tends to be how America helps its some of its allies in that there is a strategic interest for America in bleeding Putin dry, whether it's in Ukraine or elsewhere, almost, that mm. to get Putin to exhaust all of his resources, to exhaust all of his troops, we've seen the debacle that the energy crisis that Putin has turned into now. And I think that America is very happy with the way the war is going in that Putin is really getting nowhere. There's a stalemate, but the stalemate is causing so much suffering and bloodshed of Ukrainian people. And up to a point, that, you know, and of course, no American military or politicians will ever admit that. But this is something that it suits their purposes to see Putin humiliated and weakened on the international stage, to show the allies all holding together. It's also a bit of a Look at this, China. Are you watching? If you think about Taiwan, just, you know, be aware that this, we can do this. So I think, yeah, Putin's using up. Putin can't, is not in a position now to be any kind of a threat to the US or any of the US's allies, I think, in the foreseeable future. And then just to get to the economic part of it, last year, there was all this talk about, oh my God, what are we going to do? What's Europe going to do? How are we going to survive? We have to have Russian gas. We have to have Russian oil. Well, it seems now that actually Europe didn't have to have Russian gas and didn't have to have Russian oil. The exports of Russian gas to Europe are down about 80% since last August and oil is down about 40%. This has blown a massive hole in Putin's coffers. And, you know, Russia spent 30 years building up its status as an energy superpower, if not an economic superpower, or, or indeed, as we've seen, a military superpower. But it was all about the energy. Energy is two-thirds of Russia's GDP. It's got a couple of other bits and pieces it does as well. But basically, unemployment's up. There's enough wheat, it seems, as well, that this year, that the big sort of fear of a global famine, it seems, will be averted, thank God. But, it, but as I say, Putin has wiped out his own economy and Europe is not probably going to go back to Russia for gas when this is all over. They're going to go, you know what, we'll stick with what we've got now. You know, we're happy to deal with North America. We're happy to deal with Africa. We're happy to deal with where we're getting it from. And, and so I think that this has all really been a catastrophe for Putin on so many levels. His standing at home, the Russian economy, this battle, this awful, god-awful, brutal war that's going on that's, that's got no winners so far, but has produced enormous suffering. So I do think that you're, it, yes, it's not being cynical to say that this is all suiting America, but America, as I say, and it has, Biden did so well in getting the alliance together in getting everybody to stand firmly in getting Sweden and Finland into NATO. All of these things have been terrific for democracy at large, but they need to do more. They need, you know what I mean? They need to step up and they need to stop acting like they're doing Zelensky a big favor which is exactly what he said in, in, in such an excellent way when he addressed both houses of Congress and said, you know, this isn't charity, this is an investment in your futures. So basically, and it was really well put, and that's sort of where things are at there. So I actually forget your original question, but I, yeah, I think, yes. yes, there is a bit of cont containment in this. There is a bit of that America could be doing a lot more. There is also a bit that on Capitol Hill now, the Republicans are all over the place on this. And even the responses, Lindsey Graham came out and said, yeah, well done, Joe Biden. Give them the tanks. Good for you. And Tom Cotton, who fancies himself as a big military expert, came out and said, oh, Biden moved too slowly just because he's Tom Cotton and he's contrarian no matter what. 
And then you have the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gates in the House saying, not another penny for Ukraine, not another penny, not another bullet. So there's no consistency or coherence with the Republican approach for this, which is really not a good look for the Republicans because they're supposed to be the hawks and the ones who are all about spreading democracy and protecting democracy and national security. And it's really been Biden who has done very, very well in being very tough and, and being, you know, full of resolve on this. But as I say, that's not to say that I believe that America has done enough in terms of supplying Zelensky with what he needs. It's just so much posturing that it becomes yeah. white noise when you mention those names and what they have to say about it. It really makes me want to put my fingers in my ears yeah. around it and the human suffering and the, the whole thing. Pain, yeah, in the, really. and, and, you know, we're seeing a bit of it here, too. Boris Johnson shows up in Ukraine and like, well, everybody deserves all the tools they need to win this, all this bland yeah. bullshit that's no use to anybody mm-hmm. who's living in Ireland and not wanting to be here and being told yeah. that they're sucking off the system. I I felt like I felt the frustration of the people in all of this when it's it's being used now. Yeah. Clearly being used, as you say, even these tanks aren't real tanks. They're imaginary tanks that are going to arrive someday in the future. It, it, yeah. Very, very upsetting and hard to hard to stay with as a news story. Yes. I mean, they will arrive. They have made the commitment. But as I say, they've said it could be up to a year before they get there or could be. It probably will be. As I say, they may well need them, but they need them now. Damn it. Like this is when Putin is supposedly planning his big counteroffensive. This is where when things are now in stalemate. And yes, I'm really glad that there'll be about 70 leopard tanks. I think in total, Germany is giving about 14 but they're also allowing, I think it's Poland and Italy and Norway and other countries that also have leopard tanks to, to give them theirs as well. And then, as I said, the French are stepping up, the Spanish are stepping up, the Italians are stepping up and, and the Brits are stepping up as well, you know, to a degree. So there, there is the sort of equipment that they need going over, but it's not enough and it's not quickly enough. Hmm. In speaking of Boris and yeah. UK politics. I can remember there was a time when a laptop, a crucial laptop, was left on a train containing all of these classified documents, like really high-end defense stuff was on this laptop. Lost, completely like, oh shit, the train's pulling away, I left my bag on the train. Where does the classified documents that are found at Mike Pence's house rank when that's a 10 in terms of oh shit, if the Russians get that, we're in big trouble. <laughs> you know, I almost feel the panic of when you leave something behind. Oh, yes. That where you just go, oh, no, no, no. Nothing worse. Imagine like not the computer with the classified documents. With the codes. Codes, oh, <laughs> shit, shit, shit. When, uh, Mike Pence, okay, I sort of feel it's a bit like A2 Mike Pence. That Mike Pence, the most boring, bland person on earth, actually did something that he shouldn't have done. But it, my first thought with this, Charles, was to be quite honest, was all, first to roll my eyeballs and then to go, oh, here we go again. Then to go, is it's going to be easier at this stage to count the people who didn't take classified documents out of the White House. <laughs> yeah. And then I actually thought, oh my God, Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney, if there's a big bonfire in Dick Cheney's backyard right now, <laughs> yeah. I won't be a bit surprised because if ever there was a candidate <laughs> or somebody who would have taken a load of stuff that Dick Cheney, that paranoid sort of, you know, 
control freaking like hawk yeah. who fancied but, himself as as the master of the universe in in a literal sense as opposed to a Wall Street sense. And I I think that, that I'm sure. Look, these things are packed up, and this was explained to me. And I, and I do know because I remember when the Clinton people were packing up their stuff in 2000. They get a bunch of interns and they get a bunch of assistants and they go go in there, clear that out, put everything in a box, blah blah blah. And you know if it says obviously top secret in glaring red letters stamped all over then. But things can slip in. And do you remember Hillary Clinton's emails and the her, there was a thing that where, it, like there was, were markings in weird places. And this was one of the reasons that the FBI didn't actually recommend that she be prosecuted anyway, because they said on some of these documents, they said confidential down at the bottom and some was on the margin and some was at the top. There was no you know, if you were just flicking through stuff, you could easily miss it. So we don't know. We don't know if Mike Pence, he doesn't strike me as being a sort of an Austin Powers wannabe or even, God knows, he couldn't be a James Bond wannabe if he wannabeed. <laughs> so, so I don't see him having any secret thrill or getting off on having classified documents. I suspect it was a genuine oversight. Now, it's interesting because some people are saying, oh, this really helps Trump. I don't think it helps Trump at all. I don't see how. I think who it helps more is Biden because the parallel is much more with Biden. So you have mm. two two ex-presidents who packed up the wrong stuff, shoved it in their houses and apparently forgot about it. Although, you know, I did see Mike Pence being interviewed a while back by um, David Muir on ABC News, and he was asked about documents. And he, I remember at the time saying, what is wrong with him? He was squirming on the chair. When people say squirming, they don't usually mean it literally. It's worth actually looking it up for the gang out there. And Pence is squirming as he's saying, no, I've never seen anyone look more uncomfortable. So I just thought, wow, you know, what, what's that about? But he was also asked last year and he said, no, absolutely no, I have no documents. Let me ask you, as we sit here in your home office in, in Indiana, did you take any classified documents with you from the White House? Uh, I, I did not. As I say, it doesn't mean he was lying at the time. It means that he probably thought he had no documents. So I'm not seeing, I'm putting this in the same bracket as Biden, that it was malpractice. It was carelessness. But, you know, it's, I think that also, as I said, both of them vice presidents, both of them accidentally packing up documents, both of them alerting the appropriate authorities as soon as it came to their attention. So I don't think anyone's going to suggest that there's going to be a special counsel to investigate Mike Pence because the poor special counsel would die of boredom before the first well, day was over. Well, you know what it definitely does is shows you just the stupidity and the yeah. double standards of the whole thing that yeah, you've exactly. got. I'm not sure who I saw stand up on the news and say we really need to get to the bottom of these documents that this sneaky Joe Biden has. And then being asked in the next sentence, what, what about the Mike? Pence ones? Well, you know, he's a good guy and he's told us where they're from. <laughs> I mean, it's just because really? like it's, spitting image. It's like a spitting image sketch. It's because there is no consistent standard. It's all just tribal. So Joe Biden and Mike Pence do two identical things. And depending on which side of the fence you're looking at, Biden did nothing wrong and Pence is a villain. And again, from from the Pence side, Pence did nothing wrong, and Biden is this sneaky villain as well. So you know, I just, I think the public is just getting exasperated and fed up with the whole thing. And we heard even Jimmy Carter, good old Jimmy Carter, Jimmy, who genuinely the nicest guy on earth, probably if not the greatest president. Although I always thought he was underrated in a lot of respects. 
But he even apparently had a couple of classified documents rolled up accidentally somewhere. So I suspect that maybe not Obama because he was so particular and so meticulous about everything. But I'd say if they all went through the old box under the stairs or, you know, the box in the basement at this stage, they'd probably find mouldering nuclear codes <laughs> or something similar. Well, somebody who definitely did something wrong was Donald Trump on January 6th, of course. That was when Facebook or Meta took his social media privileges from him. They've now been restored. And in the coming weeks, he'll have full access to the power of Facebook for fundraising. He said they'll put up new guardrails in place to deter repeat offences. What a load of cobblers, if ever I've ever heard it. Marion, how big is this and how much does this prove to us all that Facebook really is a place for old people? Well, this is big. This is really big for Donald Trump because, you know, Donald Trump had 90 something million followers on Twitter, but Facebook was where he made his money. And I do remember Brad Pascal, his completely bonkers campaign manager, the six foot nine guy who had a meltdown in his underwear in the middle of the street, sort of around just shortly before the 2020 election and had to be carted off by the cops and put in a well padded sort of place for a while until he cooled off. But he said at the time, yeah, Twitter's great. Twitter gets people talking. But Facebook is really the highway that drove Trump to the White House in 2016 because he said the thing with Facebook was people passed it on. They'd read something and they'd pass it on or they'd start a debate about it and 20 more people would get involved, et cetera, et cetera. And he said that was the way they raised money. Also, advertising was a lot cheaper than the mainstream, as they would call it, advertising. And and so Trump really, it was so useful to him in his 2016 campaign and also in the 2020, except nothing was going to save Trump in 2020, pretty much. So I think for Trump to be back on Facebook and Instagram, not sure if he uses it or not now, I know his appalling children do, but that is a big, you know, it restores almost his credibility as a 2024 contender. Now, I saw Nick Clegg trying to just, he was being interviewed on TV earlier today, trying to squirm his way out of explaining why Donald Trump should be allowed back. And that the period, I think he said that they, yeah, they suspended him for two years for enough. And he said, and they've decided now after the two years that the risk to public safety is not, has materially and significantly, I believe were his words, receded. But now we're going to introduce additional guardrails in any case. But then it seems that the guardrails, and if Trump were to do everything again that he did on January 6th, because he was only barred off after he continued to say to everyone when they, when he finally did the video or the public appearance to say to the thugs in the Capitol, go home now and we love you and you're very special. And yes, this election was stolen from us. You know, it was only at that point Facebook banned him. And it seemed that what Nick Clegg was saying to me when he was being interviewed was that, yes, if this happens again, then we will ban him again. But short of this happening again, you know, it, it's it's sort of, they're going to, basically we're going to see how this plays out. Well, they get their cut, Marion. That's, of course, like, that's the oh that's the God. end of it. Of like course. that's the end of it for me. Is like yeah. when you say to me, "This is his fundraising platform." Yeah, you're basically going. We want our cut of that. But also, people will go to Facebook just to see what Donald Trump is going to say in Facebook. They because it's you know it flies around horse dung, shall we say? I mean, they people will flock to see what Donald Trump's ranting about once he's back on Facebook again, and to see the 
ferocious battles that apparently went on around him on Facebook and people all putting their spoke in. And Facebook will become more relevant again because, as you said, it's for old people. It's, you know, well, uh, you're not Facebook. selling it to me now. As much as <laughs> you can say that this will be, this will be a great, this will be gas to watch what this goes down here. Oh, no, it'll be depressing. I do not I'm need genius. that in my life. Yeah, it'll this, be depressing. If anything, this makes me yeah. go, you know what, I've enough of yeah. that. But, but Meta is the owner of, of course, yeah. Instagram as well. Yeah, and he's back on Instagram. For, for so many people, including myself as a stand-up comedian, so essential to what I do and yeah. how we enjoy our evenings. It is hard to know where do you draw the line with all of this. Do you get overwhelmed by your... I noticed that you are not on Instagram. Is that a... Is that just like not a good news thing to do? Are you just a... Is that is Twitter where proper journalists remain? You know, I have a Facebook account that I, I signed up on because I have friends all over the world. And there was a point where th that was how people could keep in touch. And I, they, but I've never posted anything because I can't be arsed. <laughs> I just cannot be arsed. And the same with Instagram. Oh, well, I'm going to post pictures oh. of myself eating something. Oh, Marian, and, I need you, know, you on Instagram, Marion. No, I like it, you don't. <laughs> I like Instagram it. doesn't need any more people. So, <laughs> and you know, I, I just... It may seem like I'm a Luddite and I'm not an old crank. Oh, no, no, no. I get the use of social media. I get mm. it. I get how I see so many people really using it to, to great benefits. I know how powerful it can be, but I'm very cynical. And yet, Gerald, just getting back to Trump, I am ambivalent because I think, look, whether you like it or not, this guy is a contender for the 2024 presidency. True enough. Should he be silenced? Should yep. he? I mean, point. really, he has not been convicted yet, and we may get mm -hmm. to that later in the show, yet, of any crimes. Should he be kept off Facebook when other people in other areas, you know, are allowed to rant and roam and rail freely on Facebook? And is a suspension enough? And is the very fact that he is a viable presidential candidate a sufficiently good reason to allow him to back into that public square, whatever the hell they call it. And I'm inclined to think I really don't favor censorship. Now, of course, you have the Brandenburg decision in America. You have New York, New York, New York Times and Sullivan, where the Supreme Court back then, when it was sensible, said, you know, the freedom of speech is not absolute. It's absolute right up until the point where, you know, you incite violence, for example, or you shout fire in a crowded theatre. So there is a qualified right, and I'm very anti-censorship. So I think Donald Trump, you sort of think at this stage, it's almost giving him enough rope to hang himself. But then again, people said that in 2016. So, mm. but I well, think on balance, I would, I would not want to make a social media martyr out of Donald Trump. I don't think it's, it's because I don't know. It's, it's as I said, I, I'm ambivalent. I'm, I'm thinking it out loud, and obviously making a lot of sense. Mm. But I think on balance, I think that the two-year suspension, much as I loathe the vitriol that he throws out there and the lies and the, but a lot of people tell lies on Facebook. In fact, as far as I, I'm aware, I think that people have whole other lives. Look at George Sanders on social yeah. media. And where's the point at which then that you decide, okay, you told a lie or you did this or you did that, so you're allowed on and you're not. It becomes yeah. a little... Well, I've always said that we defend the right to free speech yeah. sometimes because if we let people talk, yeah. they can reveal who they really are. Exactly. 
and shutting this guy down gives takes away the rope that he wants to use to hang himself with his own words. Yeah. Then maybe that isn't such a wise decision. And as you say, he is a contender for the White House in 2024. We've got to talk about that. We've got to talk about these charges, which could scupper the whole thing. Second half of our show is going to be huge this week. We've so much to get through, including, as I said, what Kevin McCarthy is up to now in terms of this tit for tat battle between the parties to see who's qualified for certain positions on Capitol Hill. We also need to talk about the swathe of Irish talent going to the Oscars this year, including two former guests of the show, Barry Keoghan and Paul Meskell. So bloody delighted for the last last to be said. (laughs) Um, Ticketmaster, are Taylor Swift's fans going to take down Ticketmaster? We've got so much to get to. But before we leave this half of the show, we do need to talk about it even briefly. The three mass shootings within eight days. Marion, this must be an incredibly hard story to have to keep covering over and over again knowing that the chances of any change taking place are so minimal. It's so strange, Jordan, and this is not to make it about me at all, but I've been to the aftermath now of, I think, at least half a dozen mass shootings and three, what is it three or more than three? In the, Yeah, in the, just in the last couple of years. I was down in Monterey Park just after the shooting the other day, and the scenes are always the same. It was I was in Las Vegas after the, the 58 oh, yeah, people course, were shot concert, dead yeah. at the concert. And then I was out in Thousand Oaks when they, the, you know, 20 people were killed in a bar. And it's the same every time. It's the bewilderment, the disbelief, just the raw grief and the frustration because everyone knows no matter how much the outpouring of good wishes, no matter how many candles are lit at the site, no matter how many memorials are heard, and held, no matter how many Republicans offer their thoughts and prayers, and no matter how many people try and, again, Republicans find a hero, you know, find a hero, mm. find the good guy with the gun in here somewhere. The loss of life, the families that are destroyed. And one of the things I think that doesn't really get attention, and we saw it in, in Monterey Park, there were another a dozen people who were injured. So many people who are injured and survived these are left with life-changing injuries. They can be left in wheelchairs, they're left paralyzed, they're sometimes left with internal organs that are permanently destroyed and on waiting lists, brain damage, you know, and these are the people who tend to get it forgotten and the trauma that they've endured and the suffering that they continue to endure and the poverty they may end up in as a result for the rest of their lives is something that is almost gets overlooked in the immediacy of the grief of losing a loved one, of seeing a loved one shot dead or of being the friend of somebody who has just been shot dead beside you. And I think what's awful about covering this, as I said, is you see the same levels of grief and disbelief and frustration, but nothing changes. And I know a lot of times when we talk about this, we tend to sort of, because most of the mass shootings, and you know, most of them are carried out by young white males who are aged somewhere between 16 and under 40 the vast majority, but there are also mass shootings that are carried out, as we saw with this, the mass shooting in Half Moon in, in the agricultural area. There were, there were two plant nurseries. So they were, the, the people who were shot in those were poor agricultural workers, minimum wage, 
working hard, you know, people who had really very little. And a lot of them, I was told, were casual laborers who had been laid off because of the floods. So they'd gone through a whole bunch of stuff in the last month of just they couldn't work. And if they don't work, they don't get paid. They were already under extreme stress and, and becoming even more impoverished. And then this happens and they don't have any resources financial and they don't, like a lot of them are living in those kind of places that are owned by the companies. They're essentially dorms. The living conditions are mm. appalling. And I've seen them in the Central Valley. My God, you know, just shocking. So I, I think that it's, it's just really, really difficult because, and as well, California. Now, of course, the NRA will say, see, look, California with all your gun laws and you've lost, you know, 23 people in eight days, I think it was, because of course there was the other awful mass shooting as well, which I, the police seem to think was drugs related, but a young mother, 16, 17 years of age, and her six-month-old baby were both executed. They were both shot in the head. And along with it, they were part of a group of eight people who were killed. So as I said, there are different reasons. That one, it seems that she was an innocent victim and the baby was an innocent victim, collateral damage in this awful shooting. In the two cases that happened in, in the Half Moon and in Monterey Park, it was elderly Asian men, one was 71 and one was, I think, 67, who just went on these rampages. And in the case of Monterey Park, the 71-year-old who carried out these shootings, he went to one ballroom first, which is where he killed everyone and injured everyone. He arrived at the second one, a second ballroom very close by, a dance studio. They're basically, when I say ballrooms, they're the kind of places that older people go to get ballroom dancing lessons and to get dance lessons. And they're sort of much more for the elderly in, in communities than young people. So when you say dance studio, it's not young kids learning yeah. how to, you know. And so he then went to the second one, but so the guy at reception there wrestled with him and took the gun from him. So other than that, there could have been another bunch of people killed. And as I said, California, now California does have the seventh lowest rate of gun-related deaths in the whole of America even though it has a population of 40 million people. And I, this is directly related, I think. It, it is because the other states that also have very low gun deaths or relatively low are places like New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island. They're all the states that have really strict gun laws. Uh, so whereas places like Missouri, Texas, Arkansas, where it's a free-for-all, have really high rates of gun-related deaths, whether it's violence, whether it's mass shootings, whether it's suicides, whether it's accidents. But even in the last year, Gerald, and this is just a sidebar, three and a half thousand children were killed by guns in America just in the last year. Now, when you think that in the whole of Northern Ireland's troubles, the whole of the violence there and the conflicts, that's about the number of people who were killed in total over 30 years. That in one year in America, we're just talking children, you know, wow. three and a half thousand. And it's the same every year. But as we've said before, 150 million more guns have been bought since COVID. There are now, it used to be something like one gun per person in America, or just under one gun per person. Now it's 1.2. It's about 450 million guns in America. There are about 330 to 50 million people. I mean, it's just bonkers. And Biden again has said that he's going to try and take assault weapons off the street. That would be huge because assault weapons are the weapon of choice normally for mass shooters. But there's also the problem that you can drive from California to Arizona or Nevada in a couple of minutes where the gun laws are, it's free for all, and you can bring it back. There's no border, there's no check. The same, you know, people love to criticize Illinois, which has really strict gun laws. 
but there's a, it's called an iron corridor. And it basically, the states underneath Illinois, the whole way up, they have almost no gun laws. So it's so easy. You can ban guns in Illinois or you can restrict them to a point. But there's nothing to stop people bringing them in from the neighboring states, from Indiana, from wherever you want. Whereas I say there, there, there's a free front. There has to be a federal clampdown because mm. it's, it's of very little use to have states where you have really strict control and where by and large it's reflected in the lower gun deaths. But then when you can, when, when you have people who have an intention to go and kill a bunch of people, if they can just drive 50 miles into Arizona or 50 miles into Nevada or whatever and pick up as many guns as they want, it defeats the purpose almost. So, 100%, yeah. Yeah. Marion, we could spend the entire episode talking about this calamity and contradiction that is yep. U.S. gun laws. And I doubt that it'll be the last time we talk about it, but Sadly, we've come to the yeah. end of the first half of our show for this week. The best way to support the creation of Irishman in America and all our podcasts is just by joining us on patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad and sign up for premium today. And in return, I promise you won't regret the absolutes vault of great stuff that you'll enjoy over there. Hundreds and hundreds of interviews with the greatest Irish people ever to have lived. And of course, double size episodes with Marion each week. As I mentioned earlier, we've an awful lot to get through in the second half of our show. So that's the thing to do. Sign up for the price of an overpriced pint each month. <laughs> you can get uh, What's access. an overpriced pint these uh, days? Absolutely everything. <laughs> I think it's uh, five five pounds plus tax. That's you the know deal. that's that's nothing. That's an overpriced coffee. That's a, <laughs> yeah. a pint a pint of Guinness is well worth. Five yeah. So why don't they sign up and have a pint while they're listening? Uh, absolutely, that, okay. that that's not bad. You might need it with some of the news we're about to cover. Ready? You have the cameras rolling. This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.